guys, we honestly have a hard pill to swallow. Um, at least not the left, but the conservative right. And that pill is that, yes, police brutality is real. We can no longer just blame it on sensationalized journalism. You know, we can no longer just blame it on like a social political climate. No, institutional racism has once again shown his head. Well, always shown its head. And now I feel like we're honestly to a point to where there's no more refuting the earnest and sincerity that uh, us black activists preach when we talk about uh, the cops killing us in our own neighborhoods. But honestly, if you're here for a prescription to what's going on, meaning uh, kind of like a diagnosis and then after that, uh, what we should do, honestly, this is not what this is about. Um, Because I feel like being both diplomatic and revolutionary does help in these instances, as we've seen with the civil rights movement. And we're going to touch on that later. But this episode is more about the utility in rioting, our rebellion, the the utility in rebellion. Is there any utility in looting or rioting our rebellion? Well, if you want the case for it, check out this episode. All right, let's go. And honestly, when we're looking at it right now, for most of these cases that came up for recent, I'm talking about like Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery or, you know, even George Floyd, it seems like there's a a unanimous cultural basically decision made or conclusion made that like no these are instances are cases of police brutality and and if there's not um i just don't really see any like really convincing arguments that uh go against that uh but of course you still have the ultra right conservatives who still spew out their talking points uh one of them being we might as well just get this one out the way the black demeanor one uh when basically uh conservatives like to comment on the black demeanor being one of the main uh, uh to why it's hard for black people to have good relations with the police. They'll say things like, well, black people are, are rowdy or, you know, black people are docile or, or aren't docile. They're, they're aggressive and aggro and abrasive. Um, so a cop feels more threatened. Uh, whenever you hear that argument, that's a literal literal dog whistle, and it means that most likely that person has been uh, living with regurgitated racist ideals for most of their lives. And a lot of black people think this way, too. It's just not white people. Um, when, uh, uh, a long time ago, uh, you know, m- people around me, meaning my, you know, my, my uh, father and uh, others who have like really uh, lived through more racist times. They used to always tell me that black people are so brainwashed to this idea of black people having bad demeanor that black people are scared of black people. So not only you have uh, white people who are scared of black people, you have black people who are scared of themselves. Now, black people, a black person to be is is more willing to talk to a white person than a black person because of what society has brainwashed them to believe about their own demeanor. So. That's a racist uh, dog whistle in itself. Uh, so when you hear that, no, like, ding, 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 that, that definitely rings off uh, in racist alert to me. Um, 
But of course, you had some very um, unconventional takes, some very like out of the box contrarian takes from some conservative superstars, apparently. Also, we had the superstar white nationalist shill Candace Owens. Oh my God. Uh, you know, we can always count on Candace Owens with some good takes, um, especially this good take from um, Ahmaud Arbery take to, uh, on, on the Ahmaud Arbery situation. She has a solid one on this one, guys. So I want y'all to check this one out. Multiple people throughout the, throughout the neighborhood called 911 um, because they were reporting seeing a person entering in a property that was not theirs, that was under construction. Now, I have seen people who first said that this was all a lie, he was just a jogger, now pivot and say, okay, he just liked to look around at architecture in the neighborhood and that that was a thing. Well, first and foremost, okay, just a jogger wearing khakis who decides to stop in the middle of a jog to go onto a property that isn't his and enter in a, you know, a construction site, a garage or a house, whatever it is that was under construction and go in and expects nobody to raise a red flag, that's pointedly ridiculous. I hate about this. No, Candace. What's pointedly ridiculous is that you didn't even read the case. Like, this is the craziest part. Like, um, at least if she tried to read the case, um, because uh, I'm not even going to, like, let you guys listen to the whole video because one, is like super long. Two, it's super insufferable. And three, I'm pretty sure she's a shill for white nationalism. But we're going to make an episode about that soon. So let's not get focused on that. But Candace, no, what's stupid is that you, we can tell you haven't even looked at the case at all when she says that he's just a jogger because he has khaki pants. Um, by the way, she reiterates that a lot in her response, like, that matters, like, um, you can only have a certain form of attire when you jog, uh, I thought this was the free world, Candace. uh, me personally, I don't, like, uh, exercising in gym shorts, I exercise in sweats, so what, uh, but anyway, she reiterate, she, but she keeps on reiterating that point throughout the video, like, it's, she's standing on something with that one, and then she says that, uh, he went into the construction site, and that same construction site, and how can you just go into a construction site with khaki pants on, and expect not to raise any red flags, well, Candace, that's a good question, but, only a good question when you don't know contextual uh, history about that environment. Uh, and then if you read the case, you would know that multiple people went to that construction site because that construction site held a water source for people to drink out of. Uh, so uh, despite Candace saying she knows everything about this case, um, you can actually look up the surveillance video with multiple other people going to that same source throughout the days, throughout the nights. This was a thing. This was a thing in the neighborhood. Um, and, and what was the only difference between him and those other people in that surveillance footage? Guess what? Oh, yep. They were black. Um, but I mean, according to Candace, that's it. That's all we needed to know. Uh, we don't really need to know anything else. Uh, so that was a crazy take. Um, uh, and then she says that like, she, he's not the only person who called 911. Like, yes, Candace, that's the problem. If you understood the contextual history of that environment, you will understand that all the white people didn't get the cops called on them. But the problem is, is that the black person, as soon as he entered that same establishment, that same place or that same construction site, the cops were called on him. And never mind the fact that even if the cops were called, this does not give the right for people to act like literal racist vigilantes and lynch down a black man because they think 
he's accused, he's, he robbed something or robbed someone. Remember, these people weren't even official of uh, uh, acting on official order at all. But hey, that's enough for that. We can go ahead and move on to the next topic. But if we're being honest, another take kind of annoyed me, and it was Lil Wayne's take. Uh, Lil Wayne uh, talked about uh, why um, he feels like rioting is bad, but he also mentioned mentioned that you know uh, the movement or social activism uh, when we riot and we protest, we have to make sure that it's specific and it's not hasty generalizations. Like, I mean, Wayne, come on, where have you been like since two thousand five? Like, literally, where have you been since two thousand five? Since 2005, actually, there's there's only been 35 officers who have actually been arrested for fatally shooting and killing a, a person or a civilian. Only 35. There, there's only been 35 officers since the year 2005 who have actually been tried and convicted for killing and fatally shooting uh, a civilian. Now, you could say, oh, well, I mean, cops just don't kill people that much. Well, I mean, when you look at the statistic, the, the actual statistics, you see that actually that's not the case at all. Uh, cops actually kill around up to 900 and to 1,000 people per year. So when you evaluate that, things when people say, when people like Wayne say, uh, we can't hypergeneralize the movement. Or we have to make sure that it's specific enough. We can't talk about all cops. We can't talk about all races. It's like, first of all, like we're not. And second of all, it's like you don't even you haven't even been keeping up with the movement. Uh, so for your comment on writing to be so kindergarten, it it just amazes me. But let's get into it. Uh, the idea of writing or rebellion. I would rather call it rebellion for uh, this context of uh, argument. Um, but is rebellion bad? Uh, first, we have to evaluate what is rebellion. And rebellion is just basically what takes place when a people or a group are basically sick and tired of being sick and tired and they lash out at their said oppressor. Um, this is kind of like the Planet of the Apes type stuff, you know, with uh, Cesar. Uh, but... When we evaluate what rebellion has brought brought us, um, it, it has brought us. We can't really nail it on the head as if rebellion is morally good or bad. Like, cause I mean, technically, like the Nazis rebelled against the state uh, in Germany, and like we kind of consider like them to be bad people. Uh, but I mean, America rebelled against the British state because we didn't want to pay pay shipping and handling on uh, tea, and we in they dressed up like Indians and threw tea off the fucking ships and destroyed the ships. Um, so, but I mean, Americans kind of consider that rebellion to be good. Um, also, the Haitian rebellion, uh, when Haiti, uh, the Haitian people uh, rebelled against the the authoritative colon, uh, uh, colonizers, which were the French Empire at that time, and and basically, you know, kicked them out and killed them all. And we kind of can can look at back in history and say, okay, well, that was a good thing because, I mean, it was a tyrannical government. So the idea of rebellion or rioting in itself being good or morally good or bad, throw that out the window because that's not how we should look at situations. We should look at situations by their consequential impact. Now, we understand rebellions like in the civil rights movement were okay because it had a consequential uh, impact, a consequential good impact, matter of fact. So, 
when we evaluate that, we understand that like rioting and rebellion were actually very important parts of the civil movement, civil rights movement. Um, the big misconception I had growing up is that, you know, civil disobedience uh, taught by David Thoreau, Mahant, uh, uh, Gandhi, and then passed on to uh, MLK. Uh, for, for a long time, I thought civil disobedience is what got us to things like the Voting Rights Act uh, and the Civil Rights Act, 1963 and 1965, respectively. Um, but it didn't. It wasn't just, you know, the Million Man marches. It wasn't just the letting officers essentially hose us down it was a mixture of both and and because uh, a lot of people like to bring up uh selma alabama how we just stood there and you know got our holes down and we just got you know messed up essentially or fucked up essentially but you know that you know that selma wasn't the only thing that happened when you talk about birmingham which was really the center of you know racial politics at the time um you would understand that the riots in Birmingham is actually what pushed JFK to accelerate desegregation. Um, even after, when you look at the bombings uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, that happened in the Gaston Hotel uh, that almost killed King, uh, Dr. King and his brothers. Um, and right after that happened, right after Ku Klux Klan members put bombs in the Gaston Hotels to try to kill off King and his men, the African-Americans in Alabama went bat crazy. And they said, you know what, forget this. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then that's when riots ensued. Riots ensued for days. And, you know, uh, that's when Martin Luther King even have to, had to get up and say himself verbatim, uh, today the new outburst would make it mandatory to take a forthright stand against indigenities which Negro citizens still face. Meaning that, you know, the actions taken today in these riots means that now it is mandatory for us to get our just due, uh, for us to be just treated like human beings. And then when you look at uh, after that, after uh, that happened, you had John F. Kennedy, who was the president at the time before he was assassinated. You had John F. Kennedy, uh, someone, you know, who was still playing like the fence, you know, trying to play the middle because he's the president at this time. Uh, but but literally he's playing the middle between, you know, African-Americans having no civil rights and trying to get these races, you know, to like shut up. So King was just expecting JFK to make a statement about, OK, stop the division, stop the hurt, stop all that, you know, stop the violence. But JFK actually ended up uh, saying pointing out the rioting uh, and pointing out the police brutality against the African-Americans and said, this is why we need to protect these citizens. And after that, he declared a national emergency and he actually sent troops there himself. But all of this happened because of rioting. This didn't happen, you know, just because of the civil disobedience. So when there's this, I hate how there's this kind of like kind of quarrel between like the black thought now, how it's essentially became, uh, are we civil or not civil? Or how, are we diplomatic or are we revolutionary? We're both, you know, everybody has to play their role in order for us to get the maximum outcome that we want from this. So me as a diplomat, I'm not going to judge somebody in Minneapolis who decides to ride and rebel. Because as we see, just from doing that, George Floyd's case has been made a top priority. 
So to say that there's simply not utility in rebellion is just daltish and you don't have a good understanding of history. And, you know, before we have, you know, uh, people like, well, how, how can you get to a point to where like you even think this is OK? I mean, you can't really literally think that, you know, a person tearing up shops and then looting shops is OK. Um, first of all, again, it's a material reaction. This is what happens when people are hurt. They lash out. <laughs> it happens, you know. So are you going to tell me material uh, goods are, are productions that are little that, that are literally already accounted for because the target is accounted for it? You know, the CEO even came out in support of the protest. Uh, so is accounted for. So <laughs> what, 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 what are you saying there? Like, like, are you literally putting that target above human lives? Because you're totally disregarding what they're rioting and looting for. Um, but again, people don't understand materialism. Uh, and, and specifically, dialectual materialism. Uh, dialectual materialism shows that people's thoughts, characters, and actions are shaped by the conditions in the world around them. The material world. When people look at the world through the lens of dialectual materialism, they can see the logical development of beliefs, thoughts and actions and events and even human history as a whole so when we look at these events we can't just look at these events with just an immediate eye like you know there's nothing that caused them before you know uh we just look at it oh well no you're burning down mom and pop shops well there was just muslim mom and pop shop that said hey burn it down it's okay you know, we understand in some decisions, the collective has to be considered more than just individuals. And that's why the Target CEO said what they said. And that's why the Muslim man said what he said. Um, because sometimes there, there's just going to have to be some sacrifices for a greater good. But how this situation came about, how writing came about, yes, you have provocators and yes, you have alt writers who kind of like went into certain uh, sectors of these protests and started some shit. But this isn't like I hate when people think that like uh, riots or rebellions like that, like the ones that happened in Ferguson just happened. Like somebody just wake up one day and like, I'm going to throw a brick in the wall premeditated. Like, no, this is not what happened. This is a material reaction. You know, this is what happens when people go long enough with not uh, with not being treated with the same human value just because of their skin color. This is what happens. You know, and this is what happens when you have, uh, you know, other demographics show solidarity with these people. Like MLK said, writing is the voice of the unheard. So whether we like it or not, we need to be heard. And if this is the only way we're truly heard, and every single police, every single case of police brutality that makes the tabloids, then every time a case of police brutality makes the tabloids, then we're just gonna have to do it. Um, again, rebellion. It could be a consequential good if we understand uh, what got us here in the first place. You know, the people who are literally saying no to the riots right now, saying like, no, don't destroy things. Don't don't F, don't don't mess stuff up. Don't, you know, loot stores. You realize those same people are were pro Hong Kongers just in January. 
They were pro Hong Kong for, you know, protesting against the Chinese authoritative state. But now, where are those same people? Now those same people are actually in love with the state. Pretty funny if you ask me. But this is all we have here today, guys. Thank you so much for checking this out. And um, I'm about to sign off. But remember, if you want to check out more episodes of E2 the Podcast, like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and to stay up to date with all of our episodes. And also check out my E2 Quarantine Convo conversation with uh, Cross Colburn, a former councilman. Uh, it was really cool. We debated the utility and third-party voting. Um, so check that out if you're really into uh, electoral politics. Really check that out. Um. But I'm signing off, guys. Y'all have a good one. And remember, police brutality is real.